everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Courtside with Beelance and Tennis, part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. We are back on with my co-host, Steve Flink. We just previously recorded six days ago. My, oh my, is there a lot that has gone on since that last recording? Uh, this is our mid-tournament French Open pod. Our timing has been impeccable for this episode and last episode with, uh, I guess, breaking news. Uh, Steve, welcome back. And uh, you, you ready to roll? I'm ready, David. You're right. Quite a bit has transpired since we last spoke. So let's get right to it. Yeah, before we before we get to that again, um, just a reminder that if any of you have a question, um, of course, you could hit me up on Twitter, social media, whatever. But um, if you have a question that you want to send via email, you could email Steve and myself at uh, askdavidandsteve at gmail.com. Again, it's as simple as askdavidandsteve at gmail.com. We've already got a few questions in. Um, feel free to keep sending them in. Okay, with that, let's get uh, right to it. We're releasing, we're recording this Sunday night. I'm going to try to release it later after we're done with the recording. If for some reason I can, it will be released the latest Monday night. But because things are so timely, I want to record this and release it tonight. So um, with that, we have to start with the big three and the news today. He hinted at it after his match last night. The news hit today. Roger Federer, after a grueling four-set win over a very good Dominic Kupfer, had to withdraw um, from this year's event. Steve, I, I, I'll let you run with it. What, what are your thoughts on it? No, he had obviously started off with an easy straight set win over Istomin, and then Chilich pushed him to four. And then in this Kepfer match, you know, there's a strange atmosphere, no fans, night match. And I, I don't think he knew exactly what to expect, but he certainly didn't expect to be playing over three and a half hours. He, no, and that was a very unusual match, a very physical match. So it didn't shock me to hear him say that in the press conference, David, that he was considering not playing against Berrettini. He even went as far as not to answer a question about playing Berrettini. He didn't even want to get into that. So I thought, wow, he's really concerned about his body and certainly concerned about that knee. And therefore, it looks to me, I can't imagine he's going to wake up a day later and say, I'm, I'm, I'm just feeling great and I've got to go, I've got to play Berrettini. I think he wanted to protect himself for the grass because he obviously realizes Wimbledon is his prime objective. And he wasn't trying to diminish the French Open, but I think he just put himself through. That was as much as he could handle once yeah. the Kepfer match ended. It, it, it was one of the most physical matches I've seen him involved, involved in for a very long time. No, just, I would agree. I would made agree. Him, I, I, he made him play every point, David. Kepper really, he was really digging out a lot of balls, extending the rallies, made Roger feel like he really was on a clay court. There are times where Roger can dictate to the extent that you think he's playing on hard again, but not, not last night, not in this contest. And so yeah. it, it really, uh, it took a lot out of him. I understood the decision fully. Yeah. So, I mean, when the news hit, you know, you go on Twitter and you see all sort of, you know, people's opinions and including Patrick McEnroe, he, he said, look, I understand it. I don't like it. Um, that again, Roger Federer, if anyone's going to have some leeway, give it to Roger Federer. If it was somebody else, I think the reaction would be um, slightly more harsh, maybe, but. Well, you know what, David, Patrick's a very fair minded guy. I know yep. him well. And I will say, I will say this. I think what got Roger into some trouble was he kept saying before the tournament that people who say I'm can win this tournament. No, it's not. It's I, I can't. 
I, I, I'm almost 40 years old. He kept downplaying. Then he got out, got there and he continued to sort of reinforce that notion, even after winning his first round, winning his second round. I can't, I'm not going to get out of the Djokovic quarter. So he was sort of bracing himself and his, his, his legion of supporters for the distinct possibility that it just was not going to break his way. But in the end, that it maybe it made the decision come out in a less favorable light than it would have because of all the talk that he had about not being able to win the tournament. And I, I that's how it plays out. Yeah, that's a fair point. Now, I, I want to ask you, and it, it's a it's a hypothetical, and I try to stay away from these because, again, when you're dealing with hypotheticals, you'll, you, you'll never know what the real answer would be. But if it was match point, and he knew, absolutely knew, that he would not be playing next round, I'm not saying that was what was in his head. I don't think... You know, you're playing a match to win the match. I don't think at any point during the match, he's like, oh, God, there's no way I can play tomorrow. So that's why I'm kind of careful when I give these hypotheticals. But let me throw it out to you anyway, because there has been historical precedent of this. If Roger at match point knew absolutely that he was not playing the next round and he defaulted, that would be something. Do you think that would have been something that he would even have considered because I'll let you the great tennis historian that you are tell us that has happened in the past. All right. Well, let me just let the, our listeners in on, on what you're referring to 1972, the year end masters championships, Tom Gorman and Stan Smith Davis cup teammates. They had led the, the U S to victory in the Davis cup in Romania just a few months earlier, Smith being the hero. But in any event, Gorman got up two sets to one and had a match point. He felt something wrong. He knew he had done something that was going to totally prohibit him from playing the final. And he did not want to do that to the tournament. He very gallantly defaulted to Smith at that very moment, up match point. Then, believe it or not, a year later in Boston, also in the year-end championships, John Newcomb landed badly after hitting an overhead against Tom Ocker. And that Newcomb was at match point, And he was hobbling around it's some kind of a muscle tear or tendon, whatever it was, but you saw, I remember him hobbling on that and realizing there's no way I'm going to be able to play the final. And he, he also defaulted at that stage. So back to back years, we had, you know, Tom Gorman and John Newcomb doing what was pretty noble of them. Uh, But this was different, David, this is totally different. Roger obviously felt a lot of wear and tear. It was an exhausting, debilitating battle. But I don't think he knew for sure. I think he knew he had taken a lot out of himself and he knew he was going to have to weigh it in the day in the on his day off and decide. But no, I don't think he knew for certain. And I think and then, by the way, if he had, I think he would have said it in the press conference. I just think he knew there was a real possibility. So I don't really believe that was the case. And frankly, I think had he known for certain, I honestly believe he I, I believe he would have gone up and shaking hands if he I was mean, he's so noble of a person if he did that if he actually knew if it was a like you said a, a direct acute injury and he knew it wouldn't shock me if he would have defaulted up a match point too just because of the the guy he is he's so noble um interesting yeah, no, again I, I hypothetical he, stay away yeah, a little. on that level i think he has he's got a lot of integrity and i think he would have done it but there was there was no certainty in his mind at that stage but i think all he was thinking about is i hope i can recover I'm so glad I won. No, yeah, he's he, trying to win the match at this point. He's not thinking about not playing the next round. It's so close. It wasn't like he's up five, one in the third set. It's five all in the third set. He in the fourth set, he's trying to close it out. Um, right. So, right. And, and you I know, agree. he had 
he'd been in real danger of going down two sets to one because Kepper was serving up a break four, three in the third, and then yep. played a couple of bad games in a row to let Roger back in that set. So, and he knew that, you know, if that tiebreaker had gotten away and he had to go five, that could have been big trouble too, because he could have been looking at way well over four hours of tennis. So I know absolutely nothing. I don't believe for a second, there was anything certain in his mind. And obviously it's up to the opponent. I'm sure he uh, Kepper's kicking himself in a way, thinking he he could have won or had his chances. And you could see he was disgruntled at times. He got a point penalty uh, because he was a little frustrated. I think he felt that this was an ideal time to play Roger, who's so short of match play. So that's how it goes. Berrettini gets gets the the default now and goes on to the quarterfinals. Yeah. Um. One last thought before we leave Roger. Um. I want to ask you: Is this the last time we see Roger uh, in Paris? No, I, I lean toward not. I lean toward, I, I think somehow we might see another year out of him. It's a 50-50 in my mind, but I maybe go 51-49 in favor of him being back next year. But a lot of that, it's all going to depend on how well the knee holds up, what he does at Wimbledon, what he does at the U.S. Open. And I think at the end of the U.S. Open, the Grand Slam season ends. He'll, he'll do a lot of evaluating about where he is and whether he wants to carry on. But I, I tend to think with his love of the game that he's going to want to go one more year with the to crowd feel- too. I mean, if he lost, there was no one in the crowd. How sad would it have? How sad would that have been? Yeah. yeah, exactly. That would have been, that would have been terrible, but no, I guess I lean just ever so slightly toward him coming back one more time. Okay. Um, the other two guys are the big three. Uh, Rafa just is rolling. He's won 32 sets in a row at Roland Garros. The record is 41 by Borg. Um, he has an interesting match coming up against Yannick Sinner. Is there anything, um, you know, where everyone's pinning toward that Rafa Novak um, semi? Is there anything Sinner? I mean, Sinner's good. This is not going to be easy. Is there anything that you see getting in the way of that uh, Novak Djokovic Rafael Nadal semifinal? Well, no, I, I, I still believe uh, all things being equal, we're going to get the Djokovic Nadal semi, but you're, you're right about Sinner. Now, Sinner is very dangerous. He played Raf in the quarters at Roland Garros last year, served for the first set, should have won the first set. I don't think he would have gone on to win the match, but that his chance pretty much ended there. And then he played him in Rome just a few weeks ago and lost five and four, but it's the closest seven, five, six, four match I have ever seen in my life. And he couldn't have played any better. And he was very unlucky not to get a set. And what I like about this kid, he's only 19, as you know, David, and he's just a fearless competitor. And he has great respect for the, for the leaders of uh, 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 in, in his trade for the Djokovic's and the Dow's, but he's also not afraid of them. And he goes out there believing that he should beat them. He's got a great attitude that way, very positive attitude. So I think he'll go out there tomorrow fully believing that he can win. However, this is best of five. It's Roland Garros. It's Rafa Nadal going for title number 14. I still think Nadal wins, but this time I do believe he drops a set. I'm looking for this one to be fairly tight four sets, but Nadal the, the clear winner in the end. All right. We, we shall see. Looking forward to seeing that match. The um, last of the three, he's the, the world number one. He's probably getting the last, the least amount of press of the three, but he's continuing to roll too. Novak Djokovic plays Musetti, and then he's not going to play Federer in the quarters. He's going to play Berrettini. Um, Novak looking really good right now. He is. I think he's looking forward to that Musetti match because I heard him talking about it the other day. He obviously he respects Musetti's progress that he's made. He's practiced with him a bunch of times. And Musetti, you know, is another 19-year-old like Sinner. Here are these pair of 19-year-old 
Italian upstarts going against the hierarchy of the game. And I think that um, Musetti will play well and test Novak more than Novak has been tested so far because Novak hasn't even been taken beyond 6-4. I mean, Rafa at least had a, a tie break. He escaped a couple of set points in the first round against Poprin in the third set and then had a 7-5 set with Gasquet. So even he's been tested a little bit more than Novak, but maybe Novak's draw has been slightly easier too. That'll be an interesting match because I think it's the kind of match that gets Novak a little bit nervous, which is good for him. You want that at this stage of the tournament, just as Rafa does too, in a way. Once you get to the 16s and you know where you know you know you're heading down the home stretch, you want somebody out there that makes you just a little uneasy and can perhaps bring the best out of you. That'll be those will be two fun matches to watch uh, in Djokovic and Nadal facing the young Italians. Yeah, uh, absolutely agree. I want to go towards. Um... I want to speak a little bit about the American men because you and I have done a previous podcast about the, the historical struggles that the American men have had at, at Roland Garros. And, you know, four Americans made the third round should have been five Americans is Mackie McDonald. And I, I'm a big fan of Mackie. Mackie had his chances. He should have won that match and got in to the third round. Um, and I want to, I don't want to be, I don't want to sound like Debbie Downer here because I'm, I'm a huge supporter of American tennis, but even with those four American, even with those four Americans that made it, I, I, I kind of felt like it was fool's gold. I didn't think any of the four had a real chance to, to do any real damage. Um, Isner and Opalka just had to obviously serve bombs, give their opponents no rhythm at all, and maybe try to get it into tiebreakers. Um, that didn't happen. I, I think the one American who had the best chance of doing it was the guy who won a tournament coming into French Open. Unfortunately, he had some physical issues, lost in the first round, Sebastian Corda. You and I have talked about how highly um, we both think of him, and a lot of people think so highly on, on Sebastian Corda. I also want to throw out a name that people have uh, not talked about when you're talking about American men lately. There was a challenger in Little Rock, Arkansas, and in my opinion, the best doubles player on the planet. And a former top 10 singles player. He's not in the top 10 for a variety of reasons. People who have followed me um, know, know I've talked about Jack Sock a lot. But Jack Sock won a challenger today. So his ranking is obviously way down there. It'll be interesting to see if he can climb his, his way back. The ranking system's a little we, uh, weird right now. It's hard to make a lot of progress, um, just how it is. But David, it was, good that, it was good that the four Americans made it. I, I just didn't really feel like there was any real threat to, to do any real damage. Well, yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I believe that as well. A couple of quick thoughts, though. I will say this. Isner played some of the most inspired tennis I've seen from him in a long, long time. The first three sets against Stefano Tsitsipas. And John won the first set 7-5, got broken once in the second. They go to a third set tiebreak, and he didn't serve well in the third set tiebreak. That killed his chances. But I was impressed. It was, you know, I, I think he I think we might see some very good tennis from Isner over the summer now because I think he's starting to raise his level. And I totally agree on Corda. I really believe Corda was hurt. I don't think we're going to hear much about it. It's on an outside court. It didn't get a lot of play, but I don't think he's the kind of guy that was just going to have that let down so quickly in the first round after winning a title. And I'm sorry we didn't get to see him play Stefano Sitsipas. It would have been a fun match to see. Uh, but he's going to do great things the rest of this year. Now, the clay court season's ending. Where do we see him get on those hard courts over the summer? Cordo, in my opinion, will finish the year inside the top 30. He's that good, I, and he has that big of an upside. So I, I'm not going to bet against you on that fact right there. I'm yeah. a huge, huge fan of Sebastian Corda. Um, 
we shall see. I want to switch over to the women's side of the draw now because there's some interesting things going on on that side of the uh, on the women's um, side of the draw as well. And I was disappointed. Um, I was really, really looking forward to seeing Jen Brady versus Coco Golf. Very, very uh, interested in, in, in watching that match. Uh, it was a six-one set. Coco Golf really fast. You, you you knew something was wrong with Jen Brady. You heard after. Um, you know, her foot was bothering and plants her fasciitis, which is not fun to deal with. Um, that would have been a fun one to, to look at. Coco has been playing great as of late. We all know Jen, um, you know, with last year's U S open, making the semis this year's Australian making the finals. Um, that was a fun match. I was looking forward to seeing you. Absolutely. I, I, I was very disappointed about that. That it, that it came to that. I believe that Coco on this surface would probably have won anyway, but nothing like that. And right. you never want to see that. It's a very appealing matchup between two great Americans. I hope we'll see Coco and, and uh, Brady meet a few times in the hardcore circuit over the summer because Brady yeah. is Brady. We know what she can do on hardcore. She was lost to Osaka in the semis of the U S open last year and the finals of the Australian this year, she's really coming on strong on hard. So, that would, and meantime, Coco just keeps improving by leaps and bounds. So that I think we'll see them meet a few times in, in a very important contest later this year. I hope so. I hope you're right. Uh, you know, Coco has a very interesting opponent, and she doesn't get a ton of publicity in the United States. But for you tennis fans, um, Coco plays Anz Jabor. And you tennis fans got to see Anz play. She, is she has incredible amount of variety. She's not your typical um, – tennis player that you see all the time, just staying at the back of the court, just banging balls left and right. Um, she has incredible variety. She can be a nightmare to play. They have played a couple times. I think Coco's um, up two to one head to head, I believe. Don't quote me on that, but I think I'm right on that. Um, it's going to be an interesting match. Um, you, I know you've seen Ons play a lot. You think Coco can get by this one? Well, I, I think it, it, we could very well be seeing a, a tight three-set contest. I do think Coco, and I think Coco has a lot of confidence right now. We talked about her at the beginning of the tournament. She's looked very good so far. Forget the Brady match, but even before that, I, I think she's been very composed, and she's not uh, intimidated about being at this stage of the tournament and trying to take it much, much deeper. So I still like her chances of squeezing through that match, but I think it's going to be very close. Yeah, and the winner of that match uh, plays a resurgent Sloan Stevens that came out of nowhere. Um, there are a few reasons I think Sloan has struggled in the past. Most recently, I know she was dealing with some, some personal losses, um, you know, in her family and stuff like that, but it is so nice to see her on the court, not only playing well, but smiling. Cause she's got a great, great personality. And it's, um, it's, you, you haven't seen that out of her in a long time. Um, if Sloan wins, and then again, the winner of Coco and Anjabor, that's going to be an interesting quarterfinal match. Um, no matter what, Sloan has done herself an enormous amount of good with what she's done in this tournament by knocking off Pliskova, by beating Mucheva. I mean, she's had two really good wins over seeded players, and she's reminding herself that that stage, David, back in 17 and 18, when she won the U.S. Open so uh, Im impressively and then went on to the finals of the wow. French the next year and the finals of the year-end championships as well, losing both to Halep, she's, she's, she's getting back to that form. And when she's in that form, she's awfully tough to beat and she's great to watch. So more than the smile, she brings a smile to my face when she plays that kind of tennis. So yeah. 
I'd like to, I would, I too would like to see her, love to see her play Coco. That would be so, so enjoyable if they were able to meet here at Roland Garros. That would be something. Yeah. We will see how it all plays out. You know, um, yeah, obviously not going to do this episode without talking about the greatest female tennis player of all time and, and Serena Williams. And, you know, it's funny and it's no, it's no secret here when I have you on and when I have other guests on, you know, I draft up talking points and it's kind of loose, but we just kind of use it as a guide, as a course for our discussion. And, and one of the topics today was, you know, looking forward to that Serena Victoria, Victoria Azarenka potential quarterfinal match. We both know and the tennis world knows Unfortunately, that's not going to happen. Two very good tennis players got in the way to prevent that match from happening. Um, Serena, the draw was opening up very nicely for her, but uh, she did not get through today. And again, it's the, the age-old question that we've been asking for a while. Does she have another one in her? And does Roger have another one in her? And I'll let you uh, talk about Serena a little bit. Well, I don't think it was, it was ever in the cards. I, I, I didn't really buy into the notion that uh, about the draw opening up because I never felt that there was a good draw for Serena on the clay, given how she'd been playing heading in here. In other words, I don't equate this with her going back to Wimbledon or the U S open where I think she's much more dangerous. And I, I think she's a nice job. She kind of willed her way into the round of 16, but then she got really out hit outplayed, uh, lost in straight and deserved to lose. I, I, I don't mean that in, in a, in a nasty way. I just mean that she, she was, she just couldn't find the formula to get on top of the rallies. Uh, the other girl beat her to the punch and, and, and hit a lot of winners, deep returns, setting up winners, and served really well when she had to. And even though Serena broke back twice in the second set, it wasn't enough. And, but I'm not shocked. This is Roland Garros. I don't think it's a tournament she's going to win again. I don't think it was ever likely that she's going to win this time. But I do think she'll get herself really psyched up, geared up for Wimbledon and the U.S. Open, where she's going to be a, considerably more of a threat. There, I think we'll see her in the thick of things. Whether she can pull it off, I don't know. Because we saw her get to four finals, David, the two Wimbledons, two U.S. Opens in a row in 18 and 19, and lost to four different players on those occasions. And then, since then, the semis of the U.S. Open last year, Azarenka came back and beat her, and then she lost to Naomi in the semis of Australia this year. So she's been... In the penultimate round, a couple of times, a bunch of those finals, and it's a lot of different players have been able to stand up to her on those big occasions. So I, I worry about the wider net out there, the wider cast of players that on a given day can beat Serena, but I don't rule it out by any means. And I think she's going to go full force after both Wimbledon and the U.S. Open this year, knowing that she wants to cash in on her opportunities now. Yeah. I mean, tennis fans don't despair because like Roger said it, his, he's preparing, he's done all this preparation to prepare for Wimbledon. You just heard Steve talk about how Serena is going to be focused on Wimbledon. This was both clearly not their best shot. Roger even said it, like we said earlier in the, in the podcast, he knew he was not going to win at Roland Garros. Um, don't despair. These two are going to make a run before it's all out. And, uh, you know, we, I, on both sides, right? I wouldn't be surprised if either of them don't win, but I wouldn't be surprised if either of them do win another major. So um, now, that's what makes. I think she's a little better positioned, David, in the sense yeah. that, I mean, again, I don't, I don't rule it out for Roger either. He's, you know, one of the great grass court players of all time. I would rank, rank Sampras ahead of him, but Roger is right up there. Yeah, and, and he loves Wimbledon and his game is so tailor-made for the surface. Having said that, given this long missing last year and the two knee surgeries and 
how little he's played this year and just trying to get back to, it's still a tall order for him to reach peak form over that fortnight at Wimbledon this year. And if he does it, it would be perhaps the greatest accomplishment of his career uh, if he managed to pull it off now as he approaches the age of 40. Yeah, I want to, before we conclude, I want to throw out, I don't know, one or two matches for you. Um, maybe make a call on it. I'm, I'm looking at this. This match keeps showing up right in front of me. Sophia Kennan versus Maria Sakkari. Um, that's going to be a good one. Um, Kennan made the finals last year. She lost to Swedish who we haven't even talked to yet. And Swedish been playing unbelievable. Um, yes. I still favor, her. still favor her, David. I felt all along. I mean, I, I think I might've said in the last one, I still, if you yeah. ask me to one player, I'm going with her to defend her title. That's still your pick. That's still That's, your pick. But I also really am looking forward to this Kennan Sakari match because yeah. I mean, Kennan is such a ferocious competitor and so adaptable and Sakari is so cagey and quick and cunning that I think we're going to see a lot of, it's going to be first rate tennis across the board, as was the Kennan match against uh, Pagula, the American, yep. uh, you know, that was a, that was a very well-played three set match and Kennan came from behind to win that one. And this one likely will go the distance as well. And I, but I do love the way, Kennan is playing right now. And I, 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 I'm not, I'm even not even going to pick a winner there, but I think it's going right down to the wire. They're both in good form. Fair enough. Um, I, right, but we're going with Sviatek with you, with your, uh, we're sticking with Sviatek yeah. with your winner on the women's side. Um, the men's side, one match that we have not talked about. That's very intriguing. Um, the quarterfinal is Stefano Tsitsipas versus Daniil Medvedev, who all of a sudden is playing this clay court, like a hard court. Um, Intriguing matchup. What's your pick on that one? You said it so beautifully. Suddenly he's decided there isn't any difference. Prior to the <laughs> Medvedev, who's had some modest success on clay in the past, not at Roland Garros, but he was talking himself into all kinds of dark corners and saying how he didn't understand clay. He didn't know how to play on clay. He didn't know how to make his game effective on clay. So he came in here with very low expectations and with everybody else having low expectations for him. And he's blitzed into the quarterfinals. He has a 6-1 career edge over Tsitsipas. He beat him in the semis of the Australian comfortably this year. Uh, so you, you look at those facts, and yet you see Stefanos, who's had the great clay court circuit this year. And you say, wait a minute, this, this, this is just inevitably going to be, I want it, I want it, I'm going to be greedy. I want five sets. I want a 10-8 in the fifth either way. And I, <laughs> because I believe they both want it so badly and they both understand the opportunity. Win that quarter and you might play Sasha Zarev in the semis and you might be in the finals. Now, I'm not saying they're, they're shoe-ins to beat Sasha because Sasha's playing really well. But I mean that they, 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 they know they're not looking at Rafa or Novak for a semifinal. They're on the right half of the draw in that sense. So I can't wait to see that one, to see if Medvedev's composure and uh, just his clay court acumen continues the way we've seen it thus far, or whether Tsitsipas stays at the level he's been at on the clay the entire circuit since he won Monte Carlo, and whether he can sort of start making inroads in this rivalry and beat Medvedev for the second time. It will be a fun one to watch for sure. I'll tell you that. Um, I mean, I'll, I'll ask you who you're, it's a two-part question. You probably answered the second part earlier, but we'll see if you're consistent. Um, who's your pick on the men's side? I mean, is it Rafa? 
I mean, I still, I still can't, I still have to go with him. I, I, right. but I, do, I, what I want is a Rafa. I want the Rafa Novak semi and I want them. As does everybody, as does everybody. <laughs> because I believe that Djokovic for whatever the reasons last year was just a pale imitation of himself, especially in the first two sets. And that's taking nothing away from Rafa, who is brilliant, but it's, we should never have seen a love two and five match. That just shouldn't have happened. And I don't think it would happen again. And I, I want to see Djokovic back in good form and the two of them pushing each other to the hill. And maybe we could get something like the 2013 semifinal that, that Rafa finally eked out in five glorious sets. And that's the kind of match I'm hoping we'll get from the two of them as long as they can make it through to the penultimate round. Odds are that they will. Yeah. Um, well, you kind of answered it twice. Um, but my next question was, you know, is the consecutive set streak going to be intact when Rafa wins number 14? If Rafa wins number 14, you kind of answered that already. I think you said Sinner was going to win a set and you I think think Novak, Novak will take a set or two. Yes, absolutely. And I, I think also there's a potential that if, if Rafa beats Sinner in four, that perhaps he'd lose a set to Schwartzman in the quarters. He didn't lose a set to him last year in the semis, but he had come off a loss to Diego at in right. Rome. And Schwartzman is a, is a fierce competitor himself. So I wouldn't be shocked to see Rafa losing sets, you know, a couple of sets on, uh, uh, on the way to the, you know, to taking this title. I don't think we're going to see a kind of a majestic straight set sweep, seven straight matches. Lately. I, I, I'd be very surprised if he managed to pull that off. If he does, I tip my hat, but I see him tested severely by Sinner, but winning in four and then moving on to that semi and perhaps having a really hard fought five setter with Novak. That's what the fans would want. And that's what I want. I would not be surprised if uh, he does lose sets and I would not be surprised if he doesn't lose sets. He's that <laughs> damn good on this surface. And it's just miraculous what he's doing. Um, the next time we speak, we're going to have a winner on both sides. It's something, man. I mean, it goes so fast. I remember we did it. What we, we the last episode was Memorial Day. That was the first, that was the second day of the tournament because they started it on Sunday and we had the news of Naomi Osaka's withdrawal. Um, withdrawal. We did it today. We had Roger Federer's announcement of him withdrawing earlier. The timing has been good to record. Um, again, the next time we speak, we're, we're going to have a winner. I'm with you. I, I, I'd be crazy to bet against the, the king of clay and uh, number 14. I, I don't know if he'll, uh, like I said, if, if he, if he wins 21 sets in a row, it wouldn't surprise me if he has to struggle a little bit, that wouldn't surprise me as well, but I think he comes out on top. It's, it's crazy. Well, the scary, the scary thing, David, is that, you know, he didn't ever like the conditions last year. It didn't stop him from going through the tournament, and not losing a set and crushing <laughs> no finals, but he didn't like the cooler weather, the balls. There were a lot of things bothering him coming in. It didn't stop him from having one of his most efficient French opens ever. Now, this time, the conditions, he has said, are, are ideal for him. That's a scary prospect for the others. But let's, we, we, we have some really enticing matchups coming up starting tomorrow with Sinner. So let's, let's let them play out and let's hope they're hard-fought, close contests. Let's, I want Rafa to be challenged, uh, but that doesn't mean he's going to lose. <laughs> yeah, I agree 100%. I'm so excited to see the remainder of this tournament. Steve, thanks again for uh, taking time and, and going through the tournament with us. And again, next time we speak, we're going to have a winner on both sides. Look forward to it, David. It'll be a lot of fun to, to look back on, on the fortnight and, and see how it, how it all unfolds in the coming days. 